Hey guys, welcome back. You know, one thing I'm sure of, I know this. God wants you to start dreaming again. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had this dream, a vision, a goal, a word, or a task that you know God has placed inside of you to complete? And it seems that life has just gotten in the way or keeps getting in the way. I didn't say a demon. I didn't say a devil. I didn't say hell has come against you. I'm just saying that sometimes life has a way of getting in the way and it causes you to drop it or set it to the side. Maybe you're disappointed because you haven't seen that word or that vision or that dream come to pass in your life. And everybody at some point is going to experience this. Maybe this is you right now. But in Proverbs it says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's so much easier not to complete that word or to pick it up and run with that vision or that dream because it's easier to say no. And if you get disappointed enough, you won't let your heart want anymore because want hurts too bad if it's never satisfied. I'm here to tell you, God has spoken to you on purpose because God has something for you to complete. It's time for you to dream again. If this is you, this message is just for you. something here in 2 Kings, and we find this guy, his name's Elisha, and uh, I talk about him and his predecessor a lot, Elijah, like they're like two of my favorite dudes in the Bible, uh, and just the anointing that they carried, and the amazing things that they did, um, that, I, I mean, I could see why they're so powerful, and I, I want my life to almost look like that, but they're two of my favorite guys in the Bible, well, uh, Elijah is uh, his predecessor, but we're going to be talking about Elisha. But Elijah is, uh, is the predecessor, and Elijah's a bad dude. I mean, he, he looked at King Ahab, told him, said, listen, I, it, it was a famine. It was raining. or wasn't raining for a while. And he said, it ain't going to rain until I, Elijah, give the word for it to rain. You know what? It didn't either. And uh, most he's really famous for calling down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel. Some of y'all went to Inside Out Io's uh, Israel trip. You were there. And um, so you were standing at the spot where we read that story. So he is a bad boy. Somebody say he's pretty bad. And um, Elisha looks at Elijah one day, and Elijah says, Is there anything I can do for you? He said, Yeah, that anointing that you walk in, I want to walk in a double portion of that. And Elijah looks back at him and responds. I can imagine him kind of cocking his head and lifting his eyebrows a little bit and saying, You have asked a great thing. And he responds by saying, It's not because it's impossible for God to do. That's not it. He said, but what you're asking is, this anointing that I walk in, in, this calling that is so high on my life, listen, this anointing has caused me to segregate and kind of run away and want to get away from people. It's driving me crazy. It's even driven me to the point of hiding underneath the tree and wanting to end my life and commit suicide and just leave it all. He said, so it's not that God is, it's impossible for God to do, but you got to understand, I really don't think you know what you're asking about. And see, that's what you got to be careful. You could look at somebody's life and you can see the anointing and how they operate in it and how God uses them on such a mighty level. And we look at their life and we say, I want that type of anointing. But we don't really know the battles or the wars or the costs. Come on, somebody. And the things that come along with it. So listen, if you want the blessing, listen, you've got to bear that blessing. I mean, you know I'm spitting truth right now. Somebody say he's spitting facts right now. Spitting facts. And so... Nevertheless, he said, nevertheless, if you see me taken up to heaven, he said, it shall be given to you. Well, they were walking down the road one day, and uh, out of nowhere, a chariot of fire right outside of Jericho. We were right there. Um, he's taken up his chariots of fire, take up Elijah in a whirlwind. Elijah looked up and says, my father, my father. And 
Elijah's mantle falls to the ground. And Elisha picks up the mantle of the man of God. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And he strikes the Jordan and it parts. And those that were there walked across with him. So right there, immediately, Elisha performs a miracle. And what was resting on Elijah now rests on Elisha. If you're with me, say yeah. Um, So we're talking about Elisha tonight. And uh, Elisha, we're going to read that he has two different kinds of encounters with these two women. I'm going to be very, uh, not as go as long as I could, but I think it's important and I think it's worth saying. So um, these two women, they have totally two different lifestyles, totally contradictory to somebody else, to, to one another. Total contrast. And uh, I want to read to you, uh, really kind of dive in on this woman in the second, the second woman in this story here. Um I always feel weird kind of talking on Mother's Day. If I'm being honest with you, some of you are looking for the mother of this house. And that is Miss Tiffany. She's my lovely bride. She's not able to be with us tonight. She's really had a rough Mother's Day, I'll tell you. Uh, she's not sleeping much. Uh, that affects everything. She can't really function. She's just really had a rough Mother's Day. Uh, but if she was here, I know you would show her some love. So if you love my wife as much as I love her, can you just kind of like put your hands together and thank God for blessing this house with your spiritual mother. I think that's Miss Tiffany. And I'll say this so you can tell her that I did say this. I was going to call her and FaceTime her uh, so she can hear me say this. But to all the mothers out there, if you're with us tonight uh, via by the podcast, the YouTube, or you're here in person, I want to say uh, we honor you. How I many know you're supposed to honor your mother and your father tonight? Uh, but we honor you. And uh, I'll say this motherhood is really a thankless position, it's a thankless role. And um, I'll take, for example, Miss Tiffany. I'll brag on her a minute. I've see her, seen her lay down. And sacrifice a lot. And I've seen her go without. So I could have. Or so our kids could have. And she never expects anything in return. And a lot of it, listen, it's just not her. That's the role of the mothers. Really, as guys, we're built, we're made in the image of God. We're made in his image. So one thing that God cannot resist is praise. As men, we like to be praised. We like to be told that we look good, that we're working out, and you notice that, or we fix something. We're like, you know, we like to be praised, and we feed off that. And really, it can make or break a man whether you praise him or you compliment him or not. If I hear enough compliments, I feel good about myself. If I don't hear a compliment today, you know, I'm starting to wonder if she really wants to be with me still, you know. But let me tell you some ladies, you are built different. I don't know what culture has told you. You are built different than men. And that's okay. I don't know what society is screaming at you now. But you're built different. And really, that is the blessing and the burden on your life that really nobody really has to praise you or thank you or compliment you all the time. You guys just are built to incubate and nurture and just to carry out a thing whether somebody thanks you or not. But I want to let you know that tonight, and all the men in the house, we want to put our hands together and say we honor you and we thank you and we love you and you are perfect just as you are. But all the mamas out there, we love you so much. And uh, it's a hard job. Second Kings, we're going to read this. I'm going to pray real quick. Father, bless the reading of your word tonight. And um, God, make it make sense. Let something click tonight, I pray. All right? If with me, say go ahead and read on. Stay with me just for a second. 2 Kings 4, 8 through 21. 4, 
8 through 21. It says, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, wow, Shunem, where there was a notable woman. It says there was a notable woman because uh, the woman before this one was a widow who was in debt. That's the other lady I was talking about. And um, they were going to take her sons. There was a famine in the land. And they said, we're going to take your sons until this debt is paid off. And now he comes to this woman's house. And in some translations, it says that this woman that we're talking about right now, that she's wealthy. Somebody say ballin'. Uh, she's wealthy. In other words, she's, she's fine. She really doesn't have a need like this other woman prior to the story. Uh, totally different circumstances. Uh, she doesn't have the stresses of the other woman. Uh, and she really, if I'm being honest with you, if I can put it this way, she really doesn't need Elisha. She really doesn't need a man of God to come into her life and speak a word and encourage her or make a miracle happen. Uh, totally different. Um, but it says, and she persuaded him to eat some food. She got plenty of food to eat. She can probably cook. We all know somebody like this, right? Okay. Uh, so it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Verse 10. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed uh, for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in here. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi or Gehazi, whatever, I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm going to call him Gehazi. His servant called the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said, and he said to him, "Say now to her, look, have you been? You have had all this concern for us, and with all this care, what can I do for you?" He's saying, "Are you been so kind to us? We've been on the road ministering. This is kind of like if you could imagine somebody like Nick Walker or, or somebody like uh, uh, you know, somebody like a guest speaker. You've been so kind to us. Every time I come through your town." To let me stay here, you feed me, you clothe me, I get a place. What's something I can do for you? How can I bless you? He said, do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She, she, and she answered, I dwell among my own people. She's saying, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. Somebody say, it's all good. I have a life, and you know, this is, this is, it's a good one. Um, I can almost predict my day-to-day is what she's saying. I enjoy it. It may not be a glamorous life, but... We do well, me and my husband. You know, we, we have money, and we like to sow into other, uh, to other ministries, including yours. And I really don't have a need. Um, we have money, and we, we like sowing into your ministry, so I, I'm, I'm fine. This is what she's saying here to Elisha. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And notice she didn't answer. It was Gehazi, his servant, his, his right-hand guy. This is kind of like a hallelujah herald to PC. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Right? So Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. It's like, whoa. That's like off the top rope, he's throwing shade at this couple. But Gehazi has had the opportunity to study her life. So he said, go call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year. About this time next year. I was reading this, and I'm looking across, and the pastor in me wants this place to be packed to capacity when I say this. But you're going to be the ones that get this word tonight. The ones, you're here, you're going to get this word because this is meant for you. Look at your neighbor and say, this is meant for you. 
Nobody else is meant for you right here. It may not be for everybody, but it's going to hit somebody square up against the eyes. About this time next year. See, when I see those words, Pastor, when I say that, I can see words like ripples going over top of you. Some of you feel like this is a different, a different atmosphere. It feels like almost like a Bible study. Listen to me. I'm seeing these words go forth over top of you. Have y'all been swimming before and like you're underwater and like you can feel when somebody goes by you underneath water that the water moves because they're treading water and it comes and it hits you? That's what's happening right now. You can't see my words, but man, I feel that. I feel that. I feel these words going over top of you right now. And I say this because I really want you to know that I know it's not packed out tonight, but I want to tell you, and I want to speak prophetically to you right now because you're supposed to be here. About a year from now, 12 months from now, you're going to embrace what God has spoken to you. I'm putting myself on the line, but I'm telling you right now, by faith, I'm prophetically speaking to you. About a year from now, you're going to embrace the promise that's being spoken over your life. How many of you know God has spoken something? You're like, just wave your hands at me. Let me know I'm not crazy. Say, about this time next year. Look at you and say, about this time next year, it's all going to change. Verse 16, then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, now watch this. This is a, this is a twist. No, my Lord. Man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. She said, no. Don't you tell me that. Don't you tell me that. She said, I've let that thing go. Listen to me. Don't stand there and get my hopes worked up, Pastor Chase, and make me hope all over again. She says, don't come into my house and try to get me to believe for something that I've laid to rest. Listen to me. I love the way she responds because she, she's not impressed by the ministry all of a sudden. He's trying to speak into her life, and she says, don't you come up in my house and get my hopes up again. How many of y'all got this before? How many of y'all felt this way before, that you felt a stirring, maybe in a service, maybe it was tonight, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, but maybe you will encounter this, and it feels like hope has invaded the room, and you're too scared to lift up your hands and shout and take God at his word because you don't want to get your hopes up. Because God has spoken something in your life and you still didn't see it come to pass. And a matter of fact, it looks like everything else that could happen has happened. And so it's just easier to wash your hands of it and say, God, I've buried this. Don't bring it back up. But here's this man of God coming up into her house. And he's speaking something that she's already considered that it's lost. She said, listen, I know you're a holy man. I know you're a man of God. But don't you come up in my house and insult me and my husband. You don't know the countless nights that we've cried. You don't know the doctor's appointments. You don't know the fertility clinics we went through. You don't know the amount of money that we spent. I've sowed seed. I've laid down an offering. I've done all the right things, and it hasn't happened. So you know what? I've invested my life in other areas, and we have moved on. So don't you dare come up in my house and ask me, to speak that and agree with what you're speaking on. I ain't having it. It's almost like she's insulted. Verse 17. Now watch this. 
But the woman conceived. When did she conceive? When he spoke it. Am I born yet tonight? Are you with me? When did she conceive? When he spoke it. And bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. Now I'm reading down here uh, to 19. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Wow. Verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. For the sake of time, I want you to go to verse 32. We're going to go 32 through 37. Are you with me? Say, "Uh uh-huh. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times. Don't ask me the spiritual ramifications that I don't know. And the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I know my time is few. Let me use my time wisely. And God, let me speak the things, God, that matter right here. Get me out of the way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Don't go too far, though. So, if I had a title tonight, and the reason why I'm speaking, the reason why I decided, because I believe this is really for you. This is for the people that have showed up dream again. Somebody say dream again. Have you ever had like a goal, a dream, a vision, a task maybe that you wanted to complete or you saw yourself completing and it seems that you said, well, I'm not that old, but listen, something, life has a way of just getting in the way and making you busier than you really want to be. Come on, somebody. I'm in the phase of my life where I'm the busiest I've ever been. Not that I asked for it. How many of y'all busy? Wave your hands at me. Say, ain't nobody busier than me. See, we all try to make that argument with everyone. Everybody's busy. But life gets in the way. Now, listen to me. I didn't say a demon gets in the way. I didn't say a devil gets in the way. I didn't say that hell gets in the way. I said, somebody say life. But life has a way of almost taking you away from your starting point. How many of y'all ever been to the beach? Right? You've been to the beach and you have a point of reference. You can see your little setup. You can see where your family is. You know where to go get your snacks and something to drink, right? And you go out and you're floating and you're, you know, you're dodging waves and you're riding in on your boogie board. Maybe you're surfing or something like that. But before too long, you notice that you are way down the shore than you where you started out. Right? Because you've been busy out in the water, Right? And the thing is, you have a lot of action and a lot of, uh, of motion, but really you have no sense of direction. I'm already preaching. So some of you are waiting for me to preach, but I'm already preaching. And you can stop and look, and your point of reference of where you started is nowhere where you thought you would end up. 
Somebody say, let him talk. Listen to me for a second. That's a lot how life works. That's how it works. Well, it gets busy, and before too long, you kind of notice that that thing that God has spoken over your life that you've kind of maybe put it to the side, or maybe some of you have just washed your hands completely and have dropped it. And um, maybe you haven't lived this life long enough to experience that, but everybody at some point will experience this. I want you to show you something here in Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you get disappointed enough, you won't let your heart want anymore. I've been there. I've been bitter. You get to the point where you get your hopes up and you don't see it ever come to pass, and it's just easier just to not hope anymore. Because want hurts too bad if it's never satisfied, is what I'm trying to say. We learned this back in What You Think in series. When God wanted this woman to conceive and bear a son, what did he do? He sent a word. Somebody say a word. He sent her a person with a word, and that's why I don't want you to miss every other service or every other week because there could be a word in here on time, Kairos time, and this is why I don't want you to miss camp this year because there's all kinds of speakers. There could be a man of God or a woman of God that shows up with a word that could change your life in an instant, but you're going to miss it. Somebody say, I'm plugged in. Because it may be your word, and it may turn your life's direction around in an instant, but God sent the prophet with the word, and he gave that word to her, and that word bore out something in her life that she had let go and learned how to not live with. That's what this story is saying. The most vulnerable, listen to me and write this down. If God has planted a vision or a dream in your heart, listen to me. We're dreaming again. The most vulnerable time for a vision to be taken or robbed from you is when it's still in word form. Jesus said it this way in Mark 4. Okay, you've heard me say it this way, and Pastor Chase has taught on this extensively in Refill before. Mark 4 and 14, 15. The sower sows the word. That's the pastor, that's the man of God, that's the evangelist, that's whoever. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes when? Immediately, and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So it goes on to describe this kind of heart in that text. It describes the soil of that heart as stony soil, a heart of stone. You have hardened your heart to where the seed or the word cannot penetrate and get in to where it can change your life. You have become so hardened to God because you're tired of getting words, but you're also tired of them never seeing them bear fruit in your life. Come on, somebody. Don't be so holy you glow in the dark. I've been here. You don't have to put on a front list and say, Pastor Matt, this is me. I am frustrated. But don't be so much to where you live your life and your heart turns into stony ground. This lets me know that any vision is vulnerable. You need to hear that again, okay? This is not pastor speak. This is, this is me talking from experience. Any vision or dream is vulnerable, Why? Your dream or desire is vulnerable when it remains in seed form. I can go out in your yard, or I can go out in my yard, and I can see an acorn, and I can see it trying to sprout up or start something in the ground. So I can easily take my two fingers and pluck it up out of the ground, and nothing happens. 
But if that acorn for years and season after season and weather after weather and season and detrimental downpours and inclement weather, y'all ain't saying nothing back to me. But if I could take that seed and over time and over seasons and 40 years, it turns into this giant oak. I can't pluck that thing so easily out by hand. I'm going to have to call, listen, a crew of about five or six guys with a chop to chop that tree down and to grind it down to the stump if I want to see it removed. So it's very easily for me to pluck it out when it's still in seed form. Not so much when it's weathered seasons and endured over time. It is quiet in this Holy Ghost-filled youth church. Am I making any sense? Well, how did it happen? So I want to talk to the people in here, you specifically tonight, that something got robbed from you when it was still in seed form. So how did it happen? Listen to me. Some of you got something robbed from you this past year. The vision for your life in this year has not panned out, and now you just got this thing on cruise control. So how did it happen? When God speaks something in you, it's your enemy's job to build something around you that talks you out of what God has put in you. Let me say it again. When God speaks something in you, it's your enemy's job to build something around you that talks you out of what God has put in you. So you understand this thing being played out in the story that we're reading here. God comes to her in her old age. Her husband, listen, he's probably old, unless he married young, I don't know. But the Bible says that they are old, and they have built this life together. They have the means, they have the funds, they got the savings, they got the money, they got the American dream home, they got the well-manicured yard, they're known in the, in the HOA, in, in the neighborhood, they got the pull-out back, they host church family over for barbecues, they host the pastor's wife, they are all, they're doing well. They have the money, they have enough money for themselves, but listen, they also have enough money for everybody else that comes into their life. And Elisha is coming up to her in old age, and he is putting a dream inside of her without any outward signs that it's taking place right then. Even as I'm speaking right now, I've got a prophetic message to where we're supposed to get people in this ark packed to capacity. I'm looking right now, and it does not look like it's been planted. And I'm looking at you like a crazy person. You're like, Pastor Matt's lost his mind. But right now as I'm speaking, in the Spirit, I see these bleachers pulled out. It don't make no sense. But it's the same thing that Elisha's doing with her. In other words, she don't look pregnant. Listen to me. There are no signs of that she is pregnant. She doesn't even feel pregnant. All she has is the fact that God has just spoke something on the inside of her. If God said it, it's just as good as you having it. And you need to understand that if God said it, it's just as good of you having it right now in this time. Amen. Somebody say amen. We trust, listen, we trust Amazon more to bring us something than we trust God, an amazing God, to bring us something that could blow our minds and that could exceed our expectations. Come on, somebody. We watch fervently as that thing is coming to us. But when God gives us a word from heaven, the amazing God that we serve, 
We can't take him at his word, and it's so much easier just to not. I wonder what would happen if we would just wait patiently in the windows and the doors of our heart. If God has spoken something, we need to be expectancy and have something like a position, like we're waiting to ambush this thing when it shows up. Why don't we do that? We act this way towards Amazon, but God forbid when God speaks something to us, we get this lackadaisical approach, and we say, like, it's all on God. No, you've got to take steps, and you've got to have a God awareness around you that your life could change in an instant. When the word shows up, you've got to be ready. Listen, waiting on the Lord does not mean just sitting your hands and lit, you know, reclining in the chair and playing Xbox Live. No, this is a time of preparation. Downtime is just not downtime. Downtime is prep time. That's a tweet for you. Downtime is never downtime. Downtime is always prep time with Jesus. So listen to me. His word is tried. His word is true. And his word is faithful. And just make, it just may need some time to grow. See, we don't like that. It just may need some time to grow. Let it grow, let it grow. And remember the Lorax, you all remember that? See, yeah, but the only thing you remember, and it's very peculiar, the only thing you remember about that scene is the enemy or the bad guy saying, let it die, let it die, let it shrivel up and die. Why was that part so much louder than the one talking about grow? Because it's human nature. Some of you are letting the enemy sing, let it die, let it die, let it shrivel up and die. And you know what? You're laughing, clapping along with it. But then when God shows up, he said, God, I'm ready, God. He said, well, I've sent you a word, but guess what? Every time he gives you a word, the enemy shows up and says, let it die, let it die, let it shrivel up and die. And you applaud him. Somebody say, be on guard. Listen to me. Your enemy lets you hear what gets inside of you. Then he wants you to see that it's going to contradict what you're viewing. Now watch this. Peter yelled out to Jesus on the water. He said, God, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out to you. Jesus said, come. Peter starts walking on the water. Why? Because it's really not water that's holding him up. Water don't hold folk up. I don't know if you know this. It was word holding up Peter. It was the word of Jesus holding up Peter. We learned this in Hebrews 11.3 last week. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The existence of the world, the thing that keeps the world in balance is not construction, it's not two by fours in the heavenlies. It's the word of God that keeps the planets in line, that keeps the oceans at bay, that keeps everything functioning. It's by his word. So listen to me. Jesus calls him out. He says, come to me. So Peter walks out on what other people would surely die on. Because God, when he spoke, Jesus allowed somebody pursuing him to walk out on top of what other people would surely die in. I don't know if you got that or not. 
When you're pursuing Jesus, Jesus will let you defy when other people try to do it in their own strength, in their own ambitions, in their own wants. When they try to walk out on an ocean towards Jesus and they ain't really after me, they're going to sink. But when you lock eyes with the lover of your soul, when you lock eyes with a person that has given you a word, it's not you stepping out in the middle of treacherous seas, but you're stepping out on every word that God speaks. Listen to me. Stepping out on a word. Somebody say, step out on a word. See, then the Bible says that Peter got distracted. He saw the wind and he saw the waves and what? He began to sink. We've all heard the story before, but listen to me. I want to point something out to you. You get to decide what you give your attention to. You're in complete control of that. We give the devil way too much credit. Well, the devil, no, you did it all by yourself. You get to decide where your attention, watch this, and your affections go to. You get to decide that. I want you to tell you something. You need to look past an insult. You need to look past the naysayers. You need to look past that passive-aggressive post on Facebook. You need to look past that insulting message on, fa- on Instagram. Listen, you need to look past maybe that relationship ending. You need to look past and disregard them exiting your life, whoever they may be. Listen, my life does not end just because they left. Listen, your life is not over just because they left. Listen to me. It's not over because somebody left, okay? People come and go. And some of you are saying, well, everybody's leaving me, Pastor Ben. Everybody's leaving me. Some of you say, well, everybody, everybody just retreats from me. No, maybe it was God revealing Everybody's retreating away from me. No, it wasn't them retreating as much as it was God revealing. Because if they're not in the picture right now, they may not be in the picture later. Somebody say, it's okay. Disregard all your haters. Disregard all your naysayers. Disregard the mountain that's in the line of your vision because you can take that word and speak to that mountain and watch it move. You can take every demon and every plan that the enemy had for your life and say, get thee behind me, Satan, and go towards your prize. Somebody say, ain't nothing that shuts up a hater than just being successful. If you just keep one foot after the other and go towards the prize, ain't nothing that shuts your enemies up louder than you just going on and being successful. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, and I don't really mean to preach, but you got to get this inside of you. If you want your enemies to shut up, then you just go ahead and walk out on top of your word towards your prize, which is Jesus. Somebody say, I'm going to step out on a word. Step out on a word. Listen to me. Get off. Get your eyes off of what you're seeing. Because a lot of times when God gives you a word, it completely contradicts what you see. It sounds so simple, and it sounds so elementary, but also, why is it also the hardest thing in the world to do as a believer? Listen to me, man. When God gives a word, it is very rarely what it looks like. Wendy, am I, am I telling the truth here? When God gives you a word... You get that word, and you look around and says, God, I ain't got the resources. I don't even have the people to pull this off. I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. I don't have anything that you're calling me to do. Well, how in the world do you think God gets glory? Because he don't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And some of you need to understand that. I'll say it again for you so you can tweet it. God does not always call the qualified. He qualifies the called. 
And some of you need to get in your mindset that I am chosen. I am called. I am of a royal priesthood. I will see my generation come to know Jesus. I can do this. I can speak into atmospheres and see things change. I can lay my hands on the sick and see them recover. I can pray for my parents, and I can see them come to church and know Jesus. I can help with people get baptized. I can show people Jesus. I can win my school. I can be a difference maker. I am a fire starter. I am the head and not the tail. I will not always borrow. I will be the blender. Come on, somebody. You got to believe this. Listen, friends and everything, listen, Jesus said, you got to understand, the way this works is when you get a word, it's going to contradict what you're seeing initially. When you first get pregnant, you don't always look pregnant. Matter of fact, a lot of times what couples do, they keep it a secret. Until about the first, after the first trimester. And you can't even really tell. You just start wearing baggy your clothes. You see what I'm saying now? It doesn't disregard the fact that the seed has been planted. You just can't see it yet. That's good. I hope you got it. Listen to me. When they saw Jesus on that water, they started freaking out and saying, It's a ghost! It's a ghost! Everybody stay calm, but it's a ghost! Oh my God! Want a ghost? Who was it? It was Jesus. Well, here's the deal. Well, you know, God, I got this enemy. And the whole time God is saying, it's not an enemy. That's your footstool. Oh, see, y'all don't want to hear it. Listen, that's why you need to thank when the enemy and throw a party. When you get a battle and an enemy is revealed in your life, go ahead and start high-fiving everybody around you and go ahead and throw a cookout because God's getting ready to open up a door that no man can open and no man can shut. And here's the deal. You think it's an enemy. All it is is this. It's a footstool for you to get on top of the next level. And listen, I just want to take time, and it may not be for everybody, but I got to do this. I want to thank every hater. I want to thank every enemy because I wouldn't be at the level that I'm at without you. So go ahead and give yourself a round of applause because you made it rooted against me. You may talk to bad about me, may not even believe in me. You may have worked against me, but I thank God for every enemy, every footstool that he has placed in my life that has brought me to the next level. And because when you get up here, you can see how far God has brought you. Somebody give him glory in this place. I know it ain't packed out, but we can get fill this room right now with praise. It's okay. Hallelujah. It's never what it looks like. They told Jesus, Jesus, our daughter's dead. He said, she ain't dead, she's just sleeping. What? She's just sleeping. If you had only been here, Lazarus, why are you getting here so late? Lazarus is dead. No, this is for glory. Notice Jesus does not wig out like we do. It's never what it looks like. I'm wrapping up here, watch this. This Shudamite woman, she wouldn't tell. It was Gehazi had to do it. And he travels with Elisha, and he helps serve his ministry in him. And Gehazi has had the privilege of looking and observing her life this whole time. And she really wouldn't come clean in front of the man of God, Elisha. But he spoke up in her place. He said, um... Man of God, she, she don't want to burden you. Maybe she's embarrassed, but I want to tell you that they've never been able to have children. She's never had a child. And Elisha told him to go get her and tell her to come. See, we described this lady. She's got a good life. It works. She's not 
hustling for money. She's blessing ministry. She's serving. But let me just break a lie over your life for a second because some of you need to hear this. Success in one area does not always translate into another. Success in one area, Eric, does not always translate into another area. See, some of y'all need to hear that. I know that ain't like, you know, preaching material, but that's real life advice. Listen to me. And when we see someone we define as successful, okay, we assume that they are successful everywhere they got their hands in. Ah, yeah. See, but it's highly likely to be successful in one area, but then be failing miserably in another area. Some of you are great students except one area. I struggled with math my whole life. I still do. It's okay. Listen, I see this all the time as a minister. I see this all the time as a pastor because I see it. He may be a really good businessman and have a successful business, but he is a terrible father. Listen, he may be a great dad, but he has struggled to provide for his family. Listen to me. She may be a great worshiper, but she may be a terrible and lousy friend. Listen to me. She may be a great singer, but she could also be a terrible wife. So understand this. It's obvious the contrast from this lady in this story to the one that precluded her. Now watch this. Let me tell you about the one before. This woman was a widow, had a couple, had some sons. There was a famine in the land. She had debt, and it is looking bleak. Listen to me. Well, he came up to her. He said, I want you to go borrow some vessels. And she started pouring oil, and there was this miracle that started taking place right where she was at. He told her not to go just get any vessel. He said, go borrow as many vessels as you can. But did she do what, she, what he said? No. She went and borrowed vessels, just a few. Why? Why did she just borrow just a few? I always wondered that. As long as there was a capacity, the oil would keep flowing. If there was a need, if there was capacity, there was available storage, if there was a, an emptiness there, the oil could keep flowing. But she went and just got a few vessels. Somebody say a few. And once those, those vessels were filled up, the oil stopped. Because, listen to me, that woman only held the capacity to receive at the level of her needs. See, I want to ask you something. Are you asking God just to meet your needs? Are you asking God to blow your mind? Because I can tell a lot about what you think about God when I hear you pray. These small, timid, unbelievable, unshakable prayers that I hear sometimes do not move God. Because it's within your capacity to do it, why do you need him? What moves God is huge, desperate, needy, bold prayers. That God, if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. If you don't intervene, if heaven does not back up what I'm speaking, it is doomed for failure. 
This is what this lady did. She only got her needs met on the level that she needed. He didn't tell her how many vessels to get. She had gone through the whole city and said, I need every one of y'all to bring out every pot and pan that you got every vessel because I need to get this thing. She could have gone throughout the whole city, but she only got a few. Somebody say a few. And all she wanted to do was take care of her needs. He said, well, this is, this is what happened. She brought the few vessels. It got filled. But once the vessels were, there was no more vessels, the oil stopped. He said, well, here's what we're going to do. You go ahead and pay off your debt, and you just go ahead and live your life off the rest of the oil that you got. Why? Because she didn't have the capacity to see beyond herself. Listen to me. I don't want God just to meet my needs. I want to have enough oil that it drips off my life. I don't want to have just enough oil just to get me from season to season or glory to glory, from need to need or problem to problem or crisis to crisis and say, woo, we averted disaster again. No, I listen, I don't want God to say, God, I need you to provide my next meal spiritually. Listen, that ain't, listen, that is not promised land living. That's wilderness dwelling. When you're showing up and saying, God, provide me a miracle day after day and year after year and season after season and walk after walk, listen, that's wilderness living. But I don't want to live on manna my whole life. I want to finally get to where God has taken me from a word that says, this is a milk and honey land to where it flows and you won't ever need any. Because why? you got so much oil on your life that it drips onto other people. I don't know about y'all, but I hope you're praying these kind of prayers. Some of you are content with just getting enough oil just to get you through camp and make you feel goosebumps when the, when the music comes on. You just want enough oil just to keep you from sinning, but you've never really fell in love with Jesus. Get your eyes off your sin and lock eyes with him. Because when you see the man that his eyes are like fire and his hair's like wool, nothing else matters. Nothing else even competes with Jesus. Nothing else measures up. You don't even want to sin anymore. Why? Because you're so focused on the beauty that's before you. you just bringing God just with enough vessels. And this is my fear with inside out. We're content with just a few vessels. But this man of God here is telling you, go find all the vessels that you can so the oil flows. This is congruent with last week's message. Are you content with where we're at now? Because if you are, listen to me, the oil will stop. You are earthen vessels. And I see so many churches that want to keep it just their tight little clique and their little family church. That's a few vessels. And you know what? The growth of those places look identical that they did eight years ago. Why? Because God gave you a word, go get all the vessels that you can. You said just a few. Just a few of my classmates need saved. Just a few of our people really need Jesus. Just a few of them. God couldn't surely feel that person. They're too far off. And we pick and choose who's worthy of the oil when, in fact, you're not even worthy of the oil yourself. Somebody say, he's preaching. I have so much, I can't get to it all. I can't get to it all. What time is it? 
Will you give me five minutes? Five minutes. Is this okay? Y'all good? Are y'all getting anything tonight? If I could leave you with one thought, it's this. God does not come to feel the fool. Hear me. Because some of you went right over you and you thought it was a good talking point. But I want you to grasp this and think about this. God does not come to feel full people. Because you can't get filled up and full if you're full of yourself. What was the whole point of the story with Elisha? Watch this. Elisha spoke to this Shudamite woman. And he's just not giving a word that's going to make her feel good and give her hope, and then he's going to go off and do whatever he wants. No. The man of God showed up. Watch it. This is, I've said everything to say this. He showed up because he had a divine appointment, and he looked her in the eye and said, this ain't about what God can do for you. This ain't even about the gift itself. He showed up and said, you got a hole in your life. You got a void. And, man, that's different. I've seen people come to the altar where they're really seeking answers from the hand of God, and there's nothing wrong with that. God can intervene. God is that good. He's that kind. But, man, when somebody says, get your eyes of what God can do and get your eyes on him, and when the voice goes forward and says, you've got a hole in your life, that changes everything. He said, you got a hole in you. Because just because you thought life made you, listen to me, just because you thought life got busy and you thought that you had to let go of that vision or that dream or you had to lay it aside or life made you do that, it doesn't mean that it was never not yours. Just because you feel like you had to lay it down, it doesn't mean that it was intended for you. Eric, come up and just play something real soft for me. Listen to this. Some of you think just because circumstances, life happened, this year has been crazy. I didn't, couldn't predict what would happen, but Matt, I'm telling you, it's just not been the ideal situation. We wouldn't know this would happen to our family. I didn't know this would happen this way. I didn't know what happened to me. But here we are, and you know what? It's just, it's just easier not to want that. So please don't come in here, ask me to show up when you've got a sermon series or you want to hear something, you want me to hear something from you, and then you get up in my face asking me to start dreaming again. Bro, you don't know me. See, it's one thing, Matt, for you to get up here and preach prosperity and preach that God wants me, but you weren't in my room when my pillows were soaked with tears. Y'all feel this way, and that's okay. I'm man enough to take that. I'm so hurt and distraught by it. So don't tell me to come in this house when I feel like it's passed me on and God's going to use somebody else. 
That's fine. I'll serve somewhere else. No, listen to me. There's a hole in you and some of you. It ain't for everybody, but it's for somebody. It's so simple in nature that I think like our kids could probably understand this concept. God does not come to fill full people. Listen to me. If you're in this place tonight, we got people that come and fill these chairs week after week. We got people that come and fill chairs in that congregation out there. And they feel like their life is in shambles and they feel like they're unusable and they feel disregarded. They feel like trash and they feel like God cannot really use them. Why? Because they got holes in their life. Because they got voids. There's people that come in this room that got broken dreams and visions for the life and is not panned out. And you feel like you're so unusable just because you got holes in your life. I want to tell you, you're the perfect candidate for God to fill that void and that hole with a word. And some of you are wanting a word, that, another word so bad, but don't give me that word again, man what it is but as I'm speaking now that same vision in that dream God is beginning to shake the dust off of it and says you need to pick this back up you need to pick this back up you had this desire you had this vision and you've learned to live without pursuing it And your life is workable, it's livable, but it's not fulfilled. Man, who am I talking to? You show up, you lift your hands, you serve, you put a smile on your face. But if you're being honest with yourself, close your eyes for a second. You say, God, I know there's more, but I'm afraid to want it again. Because I'm not sure you're going to show up. I want to tell you right now, prophetically, and I know it's a different atmosphere and I know it's a different environment, but I want to prophesy to those that feel the tucking on their heart right now, whether you're listening in this room or you're listening online, I want to tell you something. This time next year, God's going to let you hold the promise that you writ off as dead. This time, next year, you say, Matt, that's a timeline. I'm willing to put myself out on the line to where you can look at yourself and you're going to come up and say, 12 months from now, my life is going to look radically different because I remember showing up on Mother's Day evening. And I remember Matt speaking this way. I remember God showing up and telling me to pick this dream back up. Stand your feet all over this house tonight. In closing, you may be wondering how the story goes off. We read in verse 32, and it said that the boy is grown. And listen to me. you got to understand, they're riding off the momentum of that word being released. They're riding off that momentum, that miracle taking place. She got pregnant, and man, he came forth. And man, they're making so much memories. They remember taking his first day of school in kindergarten. 
right? He's playing t-ball. He's got the t-ball pictures, right? Maybe dad is, you know, he's a coach, you know. Mom's PTA board. And this boy comes around. He says, Dad, my head's hurting. I don't know why. I feel bad. He's crying uncontrollably. And there's pain. There's anguish. And, you know, I read this story. Pastor, I read this. I've read this before. And when I read the father's response, I was like, that's, he's so cold. I mean, if, if Asher or Sawyer would come running to me and said, Dad, my head's hurting. I don't know why. And it's getting increasingly painful. And I mean, he's starting to faint. It's almost like a seizure. Listen, you'd have to pry him out of my arms. But I read this text and the dad says, tells the services, take him to his mother. That's so cold. I, don't, I don't, never understood that. I said, Holy Spirit, why do I have to keep reading this? Make it make sense to me. This is, this is Mother's Day. Why are you showing me about this father? Holy Spirit told me this. He said, the dad knew exactly what he was doing because he knew the only thing that's going to make the situation better. He says, take the promise and take it back to the person that used to carry it. Take that dream and that vision. Take the word back to the person that incubated it for months when nobody else believed it. And the servant took the baby and took that baby boy and set him on his lap. And that word that was inside of her for nine months, in a few short hours... That dream that she thought was dead, that was brought back to life by the man of God by a word, was now in the physical, dying in her lap. And the few last breaths, that little baby. (laughs) Takes his last breath. And we read that text. And I can see her on the front porch. And everybody's weeping, but it does not say her reaction. Caleb, it doesn't say the mom's reaction. It didn't say that she was hysterical. It didn't say that she was crying or she was weeping. It didn't say that she was angry. She was screaming out in anguish. Why? No! My baby! Wasn't doing that. With that last breath, she says she took that baby boy and went to an upper room. Went to a room where only he could be found. So the father said, take the promise back to the one that carried it. And the only thing that she knew to do with the dead dream was to take it back to the one that spoke it over her life in the first place. And this is what God wants you to do. Some of you got this stillborn baby, this dream, this vision in your life, this calling, this thing that God, you know, that God has put in your life, and it is laying dormant and dead in your lap, and you don't know what to do with it. And God's saying, you got to bring it to me, baby, because I'm the only one that can breathe my life back into this thing. You know, being Mother's Day, I like to think, too, that that dad knew something. There are some things, mamas, that daddies can't do. And I see this played out in my life. You see it, Pastor. Everybody in this room, these leaders that got babies, you know this. Daddies are the fun ones. 
But when, man, when they're sick and they're hurting, they want mama. And I really believe that daddy said, told that service said, you take my boy and you take him to his mama because I know mama, mama's not going to let him die. Mama's not going to let him die. Come on, I've seen my mama in the middle of a Cincinnati Children's Hospital with Asher. Couldn't breathe, but we started speaking blessings. We rushed there. I said, I know nothing's going to happen to him because mama's holding him. And there's this connection. And I'm trying to paint the scenario. It's time for you to dream again. time for you to dream again. I need dreamers in this place. I need you to start filling this house with visions. I need you to start seeing this house of what could be and not what is. This time next year. Don't argue with me. But if you would just oblige me just for a second to be that man of God and that voice in your life to say, that dream you're holding, that vision that's laying dormant and dead this time next year. About a year from now, you'll hold the promise that you thought was lost. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I don't know who that was for. Maybe it was for me. Maybe I needed to hear myself say it. But Father, there's somebody listening underneath the sound of my voice that is holding something, God. And they're afraid to want again. They're afraid to dream again. They're afraid to see what you see. They're afraid to take you at your word. Father, I pray by the spirit of the living God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that, Father, they would have the courage to bring that dream back to you. And God, for you to hover over top of it, God, put your lips on it, God, put your eyes on our eyes, God, and breathe your life into it, Lord. Lord, because we want to hold something, God, that we thought, God, was unthinkable. We want to hold the thing, God, that we thought was lost for good. And Father, we're going to take you at your word right now. And we believe it. If you believe that, we lift your hands all over this house tonight and say, God, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you're going to do it. Come on. Maybe you need to hear. Maybe it's that somebody beside you that can't even, uh, you know, articulate it themselves. Maybe they need to hear you say it for them. God, I believe you're going to do it. Come on. Maybe reach beside somebody with one hand lifted. Maybe the other hand hold on to somebody else. Say, I believe it for you. I believe it for you. Come on. I believe it for you. You need to shake that thing off. You need to get the dust off that vision. Get your dust off that dream. Come on. God wants you to dream again. I believe it for you. I believe it for you. I believe, God, it's going to look different in 12 months from now. I believe it's going to look different this time next year. This time next year. This time next year. You're going to bear a son. You're going to bear a promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, put your hands together for Jesus, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this week's Inside Out podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to know more about Inside Out, find us on social media at Inside Out CTC. Stay tuned for next week's episode.